The Glory Center would like to welcome you to this podcast. We hope that this teaching will encourage and minister to you. And now, the message. Now today, uh, in concerning this foundations, I want to take a look at forgiveness and salvation, which you know may not look too exciting, but I think it is. Um, it certainly, you know, lights my fire. Uh, if nothing else, because I spent so many years in legalistic bondage of always doubting whether you're forgiven or not, or whether you'll stay forgiven or not, or doubting whether you're saved or not, or if you'll stay saved or not, and all that stuff. So to me, it's worth, uh, it, it's obviously a very foundational issue concerning the gospel. So I think today we'll take a look at this here. Does everyone have a handout or one close to them <laughs> that they can use and look at? Uh, if not, let us know. So I'll mostly be going by that. I may put verses up. I may not, but since I have them here, it's uh, easier to go by. So we'll we'll do that. So here we go. Uh, page one at the top, A, says this. Forgiveness and salvation are not the exact same thing, even though they're very you know closely interconnected. And, and I hope the next parts of this here make sense, and we'll expound on it if we need to. Forgiveness is brought about for the sake of our sinful actions. Salvation is brought about for our sinful nature. Does that make sense? Um, I personally, and I know there's different views on it, I personally believe in a real hell, a real hell. Um, And I would say that every person who's ever gone to hell is forgiven. Their sins have been dealt with, but the sin nature is what's left. So so the sin problem's been resolved. The only left, the sinner issue is all that's left. The the sinful actions are, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away sin of the world. That's been taken care of. 2 Corinthians 5, God reconciled the world, not counting their sins against them. Then he goes on, now you be reconciled to God. So God's done everything he can possibly do. All that's left is receive the gift of eternal life. So forgiveness is just, as it, well, as it goes on and reads here, uh, this being the case, we can see that forgiveness removes the impediment to us receiving salvation. In other words, God took care of the sin problem first so we could then receive salvation or His nature or eternal life. Does that make sense? So there's sins, but then there's sin. So He took care of our sins and all that's left is the sin. Romans 6, Paul called it the old man. He said the old man is dead in Christ. So uh, that's a pretty good deal to me. So the world, we don't have to go around saying God. So this, this clears up a lot of stuff. Like God's not sending hurricanes to judge people for sin because sin was judged at the cross 2,000 years ago when the Lamb of God took our sin and judged it by dying it away on our behalf. Romans 8 says... Uh, Romans 8.1 says, There's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to say, uh, I think in verse 2, that Jesus condemned sin in the flesh. So we're not condemned because he condemned sin in his own flesh. He judged it and he died it away, which is awesome. <laughs> Hallelujah. Now moving on here on B and C, uh, the Hebrew word for forgiveness Literally means to forgive or to pardon. Simple enough, makes sense. C, a little more here in the Greek. Uh, The Greek word for forgiveness literally means 
to release from bondage or imprisonment, to forgive or pardon, and look at this, to let them go as if they had never been committed. Ooh, woo, boy, that's good. Letting, that's the Greek, that's in the Greek. Letting them go as if they had never been committed. And then remission of the penalty. And then remission there I put is the cancellation of a debt, charge, or penalty. But I, oh, I just love that part. Letting them go as if they had never been committed. Oh, that's so beautiful. Because we struggle, I think all of us, because we've had so, so much of what's been taught to us and just our own conscience beats, itself, beats us up half the time, you know. People, Christians struggle with forgiveness. I mean, blood-bought, not just the blood of bulls and goats, man, the blood of God himself has created a covenant that cleanses us from all sin, and yet we are systematically taught to be guilty and condemned all the time. Not in those words, but it's what it amounts to, you know. Um, if I struggle and think I'm going to go to hell because I forgot to confess a sin, then that, that's what I'm that's that's an example of this mentality of how we've been taught, you know, that um, I, I used to hear it very often. Maybe some of you have heard this, maybe not. I used to hear it preached a lot. God keeps short accounts. Anybody else ever heard that? You lucky dogs, you. Well, there are no accounts because he cleared the books. 1 Corinthians 13 says, love keeps no record of having been wronged. And 1 John 4 says, God is love. So God keeps no record. God who is love keeps no record of having been wronged. And again, 2 Corinthians 5 already says, that he reconciled the world to himself, not counting their sins against them. So there are no books that need to be cleared or anything. Anything They were cleared at the cross. Hallelujah. So we can stand with confidence and tell people, you are forgiven. And if it's a person who's not, who doesn't know the Lord, you can stand before them and tell them, you are forgiven. Will you accept it? Will you accept the fact that God accepts you? Will you receive that gift of forgiveness that he's already laid up to your account and offered you? Who did Jesus die for? The world. So his, the blessings and benefits that come about through his death belong to whoever he died for, and that's the world. And so it's a gift, and his gifts are irrevocable. He's already given that gift to the world. All that's left to do is to say yes and thank you. You know, that's a good deal. Uh, number one there, uh, middle of the page there, I said I put as soon as man fell into sin, God initiated a plan of restoration. And then this verse here, among other things, this reveals the heart of God to us. So the fact that as soon as man fell, God didn't kill him, God didn't backhand him, God didn't make him whip himself for a month or sleep out in the cold like Martin Luther used to do. None of that stuff. Luther was so condemned. You guys know that he. Beat himself, he'd crawl up the stairs on his knees, I th if I remember right, maybe, I can't remember if there's glass on it or not. He'd go out in the cold and uh, pray out in the cold, and they'd have to drag him in before he died. All of this trying to work his way to heaven, to earn his salvation, because his conscience couldn't accept the fact that he was forgiven through the blood of Jesus. Very sad. But his story didn't stop there. <laughs> Hallelujah. Now moving on here, uh, uh, let me read the verse here. Incredible verse, Genesis 3.15. says, And I will put enmity, this is the Lord talking to Satan in Genesis uh, at the fall. I will put enmity, which is to be an enemy, between you, 
Satan, and the woman. Well, what woman? In between your seed and her seed. And there's only one woman because man provides seed. So there's only been one woman who didn't need the help of a man in this area. He that hath ears to hear, right? Well, her name was Miriam or transliteration Mary, right? Now, so he's talking about the virgin birth, in other words. So I will put enmity uh, between you and the woman, your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you'll bruise him on the heel. So Jesus was bruised on the heel, in, in other words, the cross. But Jesus bruised Satan on the head, in other words, a death blow, more or less. Jesus, you know, Andrew Womack and others say Jesus gave the devil a PhD, permanent head damage, right? So a blow to the head. Uh, not that he literally killed Satan, but he stripped him of any power and authority that he had through the fall. Hebrews 2 says, through death, he destroyed him who had the power of death. And Colossians 2 says, Jesus uh, disarmed principalities and powers, Satan and his kingdom. So God's plan, and to me, this soul reveals the heart of God. Because we, you know, if we make a mistake or you know, in a legalistic mindset and we think, man, God's going to get me or God's going to pay me out to dry or God won't bless me or I'm out of fellowship or God's left me or whatever, this is the opposite. Because it was Adam, it was man who ran and hid from God. God didn't, no, you're not squeaky clean, i got to get out of here. None of that. God came to the rescue. Adam, where are you? Because Adam was hiding, you know. And didn't want to be found because sin is pregnant. It's innate with shame and condemnation. And so it makes us want to run from God. And, and religion has blamed that on the Holy Spirit, you know, making us feel that way. But that's just not the reality. God comes and sees Jesus, who is God's selfie, if you will. He says that God, that he is the good shepherd. He comes and seeks the lost. He leaves the 99 when one's gone astray. So that's a far cry different from this idea that God leaves us or is out of fellowship or will get even with this. Is you know I've got family and that's what they the they do. That's what they do, and they're in the ministry. And if you're you get in a car wreck or if you hit your foot on the side of your bed and it hurts real bad, or you cut your finger while you're working on the saw, the parents will, will say to the kids, what would you do to make God mad? I mean, you're talking about twisted. Good grief. Whew. Yeah, yeah it is. But thank God Jesus has you know set the record straight. Oh, and Angie, we are going to do a, a foundations overview of uh, eschatology in a few weeks too. Just a refresher, a reminder that made me think of that there. So, yeah, uh, keep that fresh because it is because because the daily news headlines. You know what happens is it hooks into your emotions, and it's hard to not feel like the world's going to hell in a handbasket and this thing's coming to an end. And but it helps us to remember. Just take a step back, and not only from scripture. That's first and foremost. But to just take a step back and remember. Things have been much worse on planet Earth, uh, to say the least. I mean, the Black Plague killed one-third, I think it was, of Europe. A fourth or a third? It was a third, wasn't it? A third, yeah. That was a pretty bad time. You know, 
I would dare say that's worse than current American political uprisings in a pandemic. Um, not that not that it's good. Not that it's not real. Not that it's not good. You know, not that it's not bad. There we go. Not that it's not real. There's always difficulties in the world. There's all ever since Adam and Eve partook of that fruit. There's been bad times for everybody from the beginning. I mean, the the first children born, one of them killed one of the other ones. Give me a break. But bad times have always happened. And so it can be good to take a step back, make sure your heart is anchored in Scripture, and uh, helps us have a much better perspective of faith, hope, and love, as we said. i got to move on here. Uh, forgiveness. We're going to hone in on forgiveness for a moment, and then we'll look briefly at, at salvation. Matthew 26, on your bottom of your page one there, uh, verses 27 and 28, and this is what, you know, the Last Supper. It says, and when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. And then he says this, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Number three, top of your page there. From this verse, we see something very important. And then it said, I, uh, I put this. Notice that the shedding of blood is for the purpose of creating, and then in parentheses, or renewing, a covenant. So that, that's important to understand. Um, like in the children of Israel, for example, they shed blood daily. And then, of course, the big kahuna was the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, right? So that was, and then as you read all through the Old Testament, there would be continual sacrifices made at, at significant moments. That was all, almost pretty much always for the purpose of creating a covenant with Yahweh or renewing the covenant. Now, why would they have to renew the covenant? Because they failed. So they had to renew the covenant. Now, thank God we have a new and better covenant with better blood. Hallelujah. So we can undo the covenant because we're not more powerful than the blood of Jesus. Animal blood was not divine, sinless blood. So for every new sin, there had to be a new sacrifice. But we have a blood that's more powerful than all sin for all time. So we don't have to renew. In, in Hebrews and, and other places, but primarily Hebrews, goes to great lengths to point this out, you know. And so um, that, that's a beautiful reality. So Jesus, why did he shed his blood? To create a covenant, as we notice in the verse there. That's what the shedding of blood was for. Um, and then as, as we go on here, and the shedding of Jesus' blood was for the purpose of creating a covenant of unilateral forgiveness. Forgiveness is already an accomplished reality for all people. As Hebrews says, he shed his blood once for all people for all time. And then under three there, a little side point, says the quality of the covenant and hence the quality, this is a little wordy I think, but bear with me. The quality of the covenant and hence the quality of the forgiveness that God bestowed upon mankind is equal to the quality of Jesus' blood. Hence, both the covenant that he created new covenant, and the forgiveness he has uh, brought about are as strong as his blood. Woo! That's a good 
That's a good deal for us, man. Hebrews 9.22, number four, just trying to move through some of this. It says in uh, number four there, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all. Now notice this, having obtained eternal redemption. Woo! Israel did not have. They had basically momentary. For every new sin, you had to get a new animal. There were different types. There were different sacrifices, but the more common one we think of is just get your, your lamb, head to, head to the outside of the temple. One of the priests would meet you, put your hand on its head, confess whatever you're there for, and then he slices its throat, and you're on your way, and he takes it in, and then they cut it open and have a good old time. Hallelujah. <laughs> so thankful I'm not a Levitical priest. Now, they ate well because part of the tithes that came to them was meat and wine. I think they were doing okay. So maybe they could drink away the memories of all the blood from that day. You know, I don't know. But that's just, I'm just reading into that. Scripture doesn't <laughs> say that. Uh, all right. Um, now notice here, under number four, uh, it says, the, I put the word redemption in the New American Standard, which is what I use, is only used three times in the New Testament. Twice in Luke's Gospel and here in Hebrews. The word redemption in Greek means a ransoming or a deliverance from the penalty of sin. Now under that, Ephesians 1, 7 and 8, in Him we have redemption. We have this ransoming, this deliverance from the penalty of sin according to, excuse me, excuse me, sorry, I jumped ahead. We have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. So basically, Paul just says here, you have redemption, and redemption is the forgiveness of your trespasses. Then he says, according to the riches of His grace, not according to our most recent performance. Thank God. Not even according to how regularly we confess our sins, which is fine to do. Just don't think you're going to go to hell if you miss one, you know. But according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us. Mm, mm, mm. Boy, that's good. You know, don't go too far with grace. Well, God lavished it on us. I don't think that means, well, just a little bit, but not too far. In the book of James, uh, you know, James says, uh, Verses, uh, chapter 4, I think, verse 6. It, you know the verse where it says, uh, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble? In there he says, God gives more grace. That word more is the Greek word mega. Literally, God gives mega grace. Romans 5 says, through the verse 17, the abundance of grace. Acts 4.33 says, and there was great grace upon them. So, Neither demon nor orla, I mean deacon, are talking to me out of abundant, mega, radical, lavish, more than enough grace. And it's only, it's only when you realize how sinful you are apart from God. Only a self-righteous mindset would fight against abundant grace. It's kind of like Jesus, you know, in the Gospel of Luke. You know, he's in, he's in uh, Simon? Was it Simon? He's in Simon's house? Somebody's house. And, he's, and then the woman comes in there, and she's weeping and crying on Jesus, you know, and, and all that. And the guy thinks to himself, well, if he's really a man of God, if he's really a prophet, he'd know what manner of woman this is. And Jesus discern, discerns uh, what, what the man's thinking. And he says, look, let's say some people owed a debt. One owed a little bit. One owed a lot. But 
the person cleared their debts and just forgave them both, who would be more thankful? Who would love him more? He says, well, I suppose the person with the bigger debt would be more grateful. He says, bingo. <laughs> Are you getting it yet? You know, the Jordan paraphrase interpretation. You getting it, dummy? You know, no. The person who is forgiven much is the one who loves much. Newsflash, we're all forgiven much. But it's only when you're self-righteous that you think you only need a little grace. You only have a little sin. God can help me get started, but I'll take care of it and finish this off. No, it's all grace. Amen? Thank God. Because if it wasn't, man, I'd be out of luck. Hallelujah. Uh, A few verses here to finish this part off. Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other. It's on number five on page two. Forgiving each other. Notice this. Just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Notice that's past tense. It doesn't say as God has forgiven you, and if you try your hardest, he might keep on forgiving you. No, it's past tense, and it's one time. That's incredible to me. I used to read over verses like that and just, because I didn't have a paradigm to see it with, you know. I used to read that verse and think, oh, yeah, when I got saved, but now he has to keep on forgiving me if I'm really holy and try my best and don't mess up too much because God will only give you grace for a season is what I used to hear. Well, thank God the Bible, that's not what Scripture teaches here. Now, Romans 4, 6-8, trying to hurry. Just as David, number six, just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. And then he quotes David from Psalm 32. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. So that's past tense. Then look what he says. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not, future tense, take into account. Amazing. Now, if you're like me and anybody that's born again that's not been told that grace grace supposedly leads to sin, I read verses like that. It makes me want to love God. It makes me want to honor God with my lifestyle and my conduct. It makes me want to be salt and light in the world because you can't receive such an enormous gift and not want to reciprocate thanksgiving and gratitude and honor to the Lord. How could you not, you know? Um, Any born-again person doesn't want to sin in their new nature. Now, our minds can get squirrely. We can get deceived by teaching or by the devil or whatever. But in our heart of hearts, that new creation inside of us doesn't want to sin, isn't interested in sin, and will always lead us to godliness. Can you say, yeah, boy? 1 John 2, number 7, bottom of the page. It says, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation, the expiation, the taking away of our sins. Top of page 3, notice this. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. And then uh, I put, I continued in the verse 12. I skipped it, but, you know, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you. Past tense, for his namesake. Now, under that, I, I added this from the Message Bible. 
uh, excellent in, in how he put this. It says, I write this, dear children, to guide you out of sin. But if anyone does sin, we have a priest friend in the presence of the Father, Jesus Christ, righteous Jesus. When he served as a sacrifice for our sins, he solved the sin problem for good. Woo! Not only ours, but the whole world's. Oh, it's so beautiful. Number eight, last one on this, and then we'll, we'll be much quicker on the next part here. Revelation 1.5, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of, over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us, past tense one time, from our sins in his own blood. Now that word washed in the Greek means to bathe or wash, but it really carries the connotation, as, as, the, as it goes on here, to people who are dead. Like, like you would, the, even today, you know, certain things are done to a, a corpse for the, you know, for even just for the funeral in, in our culture. But, um, but obviously back in their own culture, it was a little different. But anyways, it means to bathe or to wash, to bathe or wash a dead person. See, we were dead in sins, Paul says. And then it means the washing to cleanse the blood out of wounds. Jesus healed us from the sin wound that Adam put in our soul. Jesus washed it away through his blood. Amen. Thank God. And then this is only one page here. Can't go off again. Oh, you're going oh, to do the thank you. Yeah. Per uh, Jim's request here. So you guys can smile at the camera. Say hi to James. <laughs> James, we love you, friend. Praying for you. Thank you, Arthur. Somebody wave. There you go. Woo! Thank you, Arthur. your mug on there, Arla. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't want to startle him that way, do you? No. Thank you. Photobomb. You were Orla bombed. Uh, page four here, wrapping up. Salvation. Of course, Jesus or Yeshua means salvation. Uh, and it means to deliver, to save, to rescue. Our Lord's very name itself means salvation, which is just awesome. Saving is not just his job description, it's literally who he is. Similarly, the Greek word for salvation, that was Hebrew, Yeshua, uh, very similarly means deliverance, preservation, or safety and salvation. So when we speak of salvation, it doesn't just mean I'm forgiven and going to heaven, which if it did just mean that, that alone would be enough to worship God forever. But it's Salvation is not just, as, as our friend Lynn Heil says, it's not just making heaven your home. It's making your home here and now a lot more like heaven. And that's scripture. Jesus said, pray, Abba, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, that's, that's what God wants for us. You know, Deuteronomy, the Lord tells them, follow me and you can have days of heaven on earth. That's incredible. A very, very common verse here, John 3, 16 and 17 verses. Uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever works really, really, really hard and keeps all the rules, no, believes in him, should not perish, but will have everlasting or eternal life, the very life of God. Verse 17, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Would to God the church had figured that one out. 
For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be delivered, preserved, saved, rescued. Hallelujah. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, and that's the Greek word poiema, transliterated as P-O-I-E-M-A, where we get our word poem, a work of art, a masterpiece. We are his poem, his work of art, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. See, that's beautiful. Realizing I'm saved not by works will cultivate within me good works, which is incredible, which God had before ordained we should walk in them. Last two verses, 2 Timothy 1.9, God who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Lastly, oh, these, aren't these verses so beautiful? Titus 3, 4 through 7. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, so in other words, the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of you and regenerates you, makes you a new creation. In other words, renewed. Whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that we, so that being justified by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Case closed. The Glory Center would like to thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope that it is encouraged and ministered to you. We also would like to invite you to check out our website at glorycenter.org.